Actually, uh, I think this is the first time I've got up to speak and there's a little bit of light still in the sky. That's encouraging. It means uh, summer's coming, right? Eventually, yes. You know, our theme for today definitely has some uh, practical applications. Uh, learning to choose what is better. And it's even interesting, this title, rather than choosing what is best, it's choosing what is better. Um, we ended last week with the uh, book of Ecclesiastes with some questions, which is really what the book of Ecclesiastes does so well. It, it poses the questions about what life is all about. And one of the things Solomon said last, uh, in last, the last chapter, chapter 6, was, Who knows what is good for a man in life? You know, the thing is, the answer is God. And God just doesn't know. I mean, like, He really knows. God even knows what is best in everything in our life. But, you know, no human being just has the knowledge, even the experience, or the wisdom, to simply say, I know what is best in every situation. We are posed with decisions where we, we must make, you know, some kind of choice. You know, I think about choices that people face. Uh, where to go to university, that's a pretty big choice. You know, and uh, other choice, like, what do I do as a profession? That, that's, a, that's a big choice. Uh, who should I marry if you're not married? Okay, you don't have that choice anymore if you're married. But if you're not married, who should I marry? Okay, there's another choice. Um, how many children do we want to have? Okay, there's another choice. That uh, doesn't mean that's what you're going to get, but, you know, you've got a choice. Uh, where should I live? You know, we could just go on. And there's a lot of these things... We have to weigh out in the balance sort of what will work best for me as far as I can see. But it's interesting because in this whole of chapter 7, what Solomon's really talking about is doing what is better. And actually I think that's wisdom in and of itself. Because sometimes if we're looking for what's best, we never make a decision. You know, we, we never decide what we want to do because, well, I don't want to make that decision until I know exactly what it is and it's sort of a circle and we need to actually think maybe that decision isn't made by knowing absolutely what is best, but thinking about the options and then th- thinking and asking what is better. What is better for my life situation? What's going to be better for my family? You know, what is better? And so actually sometimes wisdom isn't knowing what is best. In fact, it would require revelation from God to know what is best in every situation. And that would be awesome. But God actually hasn't laid out our lives in that way. And instead, we seek wisdom as we make these kinds of life decisions. So let's just pick this up in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, A good name, verse 1, is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Now that, that, that's an interesting The day of death is better than the day of birth. Um, I must say that without faith in God, it, that's hard to believe. But the truth is too, if you live a naturally long life, you will naturally actually get to a point where death is a relief. If you live long enough, and, and many people don't live this long, but a number do, where in fact they're looking forward to death because it's the natural release from the difficulty that's in this world. But he said a good name is better than fine perfume. 
I know for some of us men, that's a little hard to relate to. Uh, it'd even be better than good aftershave. Though, you know, I don't, I don't even know what that aftershave is anyways. Tammy's bought me a few bottles. They have sat in the shelf till eventually they went in the bin. Just because they don't have the habit or, or the, you know, I don't know what it is. But it's just, I, I'm revealing a little bit about myself here. But, you know, most of us are very aware of smell. And it's a little uncomfortable when you're having a conversation with somebody and there's smell around. And now I'm not talking about perfume. I'm talking about what perfume might be used to cover. You know, uh, we are, our cleanliness, just to be honest, is much at a much higher level than, you know, in centuries past. Uh, It's something a little more important in our uh, society. But uh, perfume originally was, the intent was to cover up the smells you couldn't otherwise cover up. Now I'm not blame. You know what? I'm not suspicious of anyone using perfume. I'm just saying. Uh, but better than perfume, okay? So we don't get stuck on perfume. Better than perfume is a good name. You know. The, you know. Sometimes there's a smell in the air, and it, it, it's just it's so beautiful, right? The the aroma is just great. But a good name does more for the atmosphere of a meeting. This this. This trust of each other, this idea that, you know, I'm looking at this person and I like who they are. This good name. I mean, I might give myself a good name, but if everyone else looks at me and and doesn't think good things, then that's not very helpful for the atmosphere. So, you know, what what is this? A good name's better than fine perfume. The better thing to have as you walk into a room is, in fact, the respect and honor of people. Not just a good smell, okay? He goes on a little further, and this makes it a little bit clearer about the birth and death comment. He says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. You know, mourning and sorrow, he's saying, are actually better than feasting and laughter. Now, he didn't say they're more enjoyable. But he said they're better. And no one would typically pick, oh, I'm going to go to a funeral today rather than a party. I mean, that isn't just a choice you would make. The truth is, there's often more meaningful conversation and more reality about what is really valuable in life at a funeral than there is at a party. And the sad thing in the world, a lot of times, the world wants us not to be, wants us, in in order not to think about the serious things of life, we have the parties to distract us. But he's saying here, actually, um, you know, a funeral is better than a party. But what's interesting, you know, as Christians... We can actually say a funeral of a Christian is a type of party. It's a a farewell party and we'll see you later. You know, just till the next time we see each other. And that doesn't remove all the grief and the pain, but there is a joy that can be had. And mourning and sorrow, it says, are better than feasting and laughter. Why? Because simply to really understand what's important in this life, That's better than just enjoyment that you forget or enjoyment that distracts, even though in their place there's nothing wrong with those things either. 
Read a little further, uh, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 5 to 6. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Now, I don't know if you, you know, this idea of the thorns crackling under the pot, but when you take some, if you're out in the camping and you grab some of the brush that's just laying around and it's, it's, it's really dry and you throw it into the fire, it, it, it pops and crackles. It's saying basically the laughter of fools is about as significant as, uh, as those, those branches that are just sort of popping and crackling. It's just noise. A wise man re- rebuke is better than the songs and laughters of fools. In other words, someone who actually knows what's going on in life, sharing with you their insight and helping you, that's better, even if it's exposing you. The word rebuke is an exposing of the heart. So exposing our heart, this is good, and actually leads to better things. We read a little further, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 7 to 9. It says, extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not quickly be provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. You know, there's some just uh, common thing. Obviously, corruption messes everything up in this world, doesn't it? And when people in power are misusing that power for their own good, it brings a shadow onto everything. I mean, the whole football world is under a shadow right now because of what's happened in the world administration of FIFA and, what, and all the things that have gone on there. And it's so sad. Why? This is supposed to be a celebratory thing that people enjoy. But when there's power, there is the possibility of corruption. And, and it, it takes away from what could have been good. It's interesting here. It says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. You know, it's a lot easier to start things than it is to finish them. Have you noticed that? You know, uh, it's just a lot easier to say, wow, what a fantastic idea. This, this is going to change everything. And you start and then you go, oh man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Or I don't have the resources to finish this, you know. And, you know, we, it's easy to begin something, but it's, it's much different to finish something. And it says the end of the matter is beginning... Is better than its beginning. And interestingly, patience is better than pride. And I think, interestingly, how does that fit? Well, actually, when we begin a lot of things, there's a, there's a temptation to pride. Well, look what I'm going to do. This is my, this is my desire. We, we are sometimes measure ourselves by our dreams of what we're going to do. Rather, rather than soberly just say, boy, this, I have a great idea, but this, this is going to cost me. I need to sit down and, and count the cost to see if I can finish this. And, but it says patience is better than pride. You know, your character changes when we make decisions and see it to the end. You know, just a little word of encouragement to teenage parents. They won't always be teenagers. But you know, when you're parenting, parenting is one of those experiences where, though there's a lot of work in the beginning, things are fairly simple. Your, your one-year-old doesn't talk back to you. Your, your one-year-old typically, when they're tired, goes to sleep and doesn't want to stay up and watch TV or whatever. You know? But, but you know, as, as time grows older, the relationship and the parenting gets a little more challenging. Don't give up, okay? There, there is fruit. There is 
blessing at the end of this struggle. But but be, let's be honest, it gets more difficult before it gets easy. One of the sweetest moments, I'm told, I'm not there yet, it's when your children have kids. And then there's that one time your daughter or your son comes back and goes, Oh, Mom, Dad, thank you. I just never realized what it was like to be a parent until now. Hopefully we're not sort of waiting for them and goes, See, I told you, you know. But the end of a matter is better than its beginning, Solomon says. Because there is something learned and something gained by sticking, sticking with it. You know, he said, don't be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. You know, there's no better there. He's just saying, don't do that. Don't let your anger take over. Because, you know, when anger is motivating us and driving us, bad things happen to us too. It spoils things around us. We'll read a little further, verses 10 to 12. It says, life with wisdom is better than life without... Sorry, I'm reading my short form. Okay, verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Why isn't it wise? Because it doesn't make any difference. And it's interesting how sometimes we can glorify the past. Sometimes we can vilify the past and make it out worse than it was. But sometimes we think, oh no, it was so awesome. I mean, it's crazy. The Israelites, being freed from Egypt in the desert, said, we want to go back to Egypt. They were slaves there. Oh, at least we had food to eat. You know, have a little trust, but you know, sometimes things get difficult. It says it's not wise to ask these questions. Verse 11, wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. You know, no one complains about receiving an inheritance. And the Bible talks very favorably about the idea of leaving an inheritance for your children or even for your children's children. That's, wow, that's, a, that's, that's what I call fine financial planning. But, you know, leaving something for your kids, that's a great idea. Receiving something. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful blessing. But you know, it, it's, it says also in Proverbs, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. You know, to get something too easily often means we don't appreciate it. And I appreciate just some of the thoughts around the communion today. You know, sometimes because salvation is being offered to us, we don't appreciate what it costs God. We forget the cost He paid. And that forgiveness, which is in fact unfair, is based in Him taking on our sins, which is unfair. So life with wisdom is better than life without. He'd said that earlier. But also wisdom's better than an inheritance because it'll actually improve the quality of your life. You know, you can win the lottery and that doesn't actually make your life better. Though we all think, well, I just like to try it, you know. Just test me in that, Lord, okay? You know. But, but the truth is, you know, receiving a lot of money doesn't necessarily suddenly solve all your problems. You might find suddenly it's a little harder to trust who's your friend and who isn't. If you suddenly got a lot of wealth. 
You know, when you don't have anything that other people want like that, then you're very assured when they're still your friend, they like you. So, you know, you can see some things in that. Wisdom's a shelter as money is. It's good to have a little money in the bank. It's good to have a little bit of, of, of shelter. But wisdom is even better because it will, in fact, prolong your life. Verse 13, it says, Consider what God has done, who can straighten what He has made crooked. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, therefore a man cannot discover anything about his future. You know, acceptance of the bad with the good, this is better than getting resentful towards God. It's better to just understand, God knows what's going on in our lives, God knows that this, what we're going through may be difficult. You know, it's amazing. We all understand there's unfairness in our life. God knows that. But it does get switched around. We realize that, in fact, it's in our favor that Jesus was treated so unfairly. So acceptance of the bad with the good, it's better than getting in any way resentful towards God. Now, verses 15 to 18 are interesting says, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Now what he's saying is, reward and punishment don't necessarily come automatically. And you know, some really great, good-hearted, serving people die young, and others who are selfish and, you know, whatever, can live long. There's, we see this. Maybe that's part of the unfairness we were thinking of. But what does he go on to say? Don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. You know, what's he saying? Moderation is better than being extreme. Going one way or the other, you know... I don't think there is, biblically, a state of being over-righteous. How can you be over-righteous? I mean, either you're righteous or you're unrighteous. How can you be over-righteous? But I think what happens is, we can be overly focused on being right. And actually, that distorts everything else. It gets, it's too important to us that we're right. You know, being right isn't that important. Especially when we really, with a little humility, think... Maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I should speak with just a little more humility because I'm not sure I'm absolutely right. And you know, when it's hard to have a relationship with someone who's always right. God being the exception because He's trustworthy. You know, but when it comes to human beings, it's a little annoying, right? Because that concept that they're operating on isn't a true concept. It's, it's not honest moderation is better than either extreme so we're going to make sure that in our desire to be righteous we don't become unrelatable or in some way you know self-righteous and that's a little better explained as we read on look in verse 19 to 22 it says wisdom makes one one wise man more powerful than 10 rulers in a city There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Okay, so that's just a, that's a good one to remember. 
Okay, then it goes on to say, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that you that many times you yourself have cursed others. Now maybe uh, cursing is a little strong word. We, we think of that being so specific. But think about, you hear someone saying something not so good about you, but don't we think so not so good about others sometimes? You know, uh, Jesus said this over in Luke 6, 37 and 38. He said, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that really kind of puts things in perspective. Because, you know, Jesus said, also the golden rule, do unto others as you'd like them to do to you. Like in reflecting, how would you like others to treat you? Well, that's how you should treat them. Here he says, how would you like to be judged? Well, with the measure you used, it'll be measured, to, it'll be measured back to you. How much mercy and grace do you want from others? Who would like a whole lot of it? I would, okay? Okay, what he's saying is, with the measure you use, it'll be used back. Even among the world, this will happen. You know, if we are generous in mercy and grace, interestingly, it will affect others and they will become generous in mercy and grace as well. So, you know, we've seen some, this is some practical advice from Solomon. Hopefully, it'll be of some benefit to you. You can go back and think about these things later. But I just want to talk for a moment about a Christian perspective on what is better. You know, for the Jewish people, the the law of Moses came 1,400 years before Jesus. And for that 1,400 years up until his time, the Jewish nation were saying, we are God's chosen people. We're his special people. Now, that didn't mean everything went really well for them. They endured a lot of defeats. Uh, At one point, complete captivity. Then a remnant came back. But even that then, if you follow their history, there's many difficult moments. But they were God's people. And God had chosen them for a very specific purpose. And that was to prepare the way for Jesus. And for us to even gain some understanding from their physical situation about our spiritual situation. About them being God's physical people. We can be, in fact, God's spiritual nation. And so, through the book of Hebrews, we have a number of things, and we have talked about this before. But uh, in Hebrews 7.18, it says we have a better hope in Jesus Christ, in His sacrifice. You know, if you'd done a grave sin, and you were waiting for the chief priest to offer a sacrifice, and as he pronounced, everyone in the crowd is forgiven because of that sacrifice, you'd be encouraged. Your spirit would be lifted. But there's something better in Jesus, and that is the continual cleansing of God's forgiveness in our lives. That's better. And that makes it, it says in Hebrews 7.22, that makes it a better covenant. It's an everlasting covenant, and its effects are forever. And then it says in Hebrews 8.6, it has better promises. And I think really, just what we celebrated in the communion today, that is the very center of what makes Christianity better. Because the offering of Jesus ends the argument. 
When we accept the responsibility of that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we accept that as a, as a sacrifice made for us. In His blood is the complete forgiveness of all our sins. That is better than any religious system that's ever been or will be. That is, in fact, the best. But what's interesting is Christians, how we live our lives, we make some choices. And I want us to look at Mary and Martha just to think for a moment about what is better. Let's look over in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we see here two very faithful disciples of Jesus. We see Martha and we see Mary. They're two sisters. They happen to be the sisters of Lazarus, who will you know, play a significant role in, uh, in one of the miracles of Jesus. But in, in Luke 10.38, we read about Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. Let's, let's read this together. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So, so the, Martha's the one that did the inviting. Martha opened her home to Jesus. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, can you relate to Martha? Do you ever feel like there are things that just must be done? And I can't sit and enjoy myself, and I can't sit and relax until they're done. And it's almost like we're delaying a sense of peace and satisfaction until we do these certain things. And so there's Martha just working away. And Martha had invited Jesus over. And yes, she lived with her sister Mary. And they were all there together in one, one household. But Martha's working and working and preparing things. And she comes to Jesus and she goes, Hey Jesus, tell my sister to, to get on it, will you? She needs to be helping me. Why should I be doing all the work? And what Jesus says is, Mary chose the better thing. Now, Martha was doing all that work for Jesus. Martha was doing all that things to please Jesus. She wanted the meal, but for Jesus, all those things weren't as important as Mary sitting at his feet and simply enjoying the fellowship. You know, was Martha doing something good? I think absolutely she was. We can find many Many verses to say hospitality is good. Taking care of visitors is good. We, we, we can find that. But Mary chose what was better. You know, sometimes we're busy doing good. But we may forget to do what is better. You know, Jesus kind of helps us see how this works over in John 15. And let's just close with that scripture. John 15, verse 14. You know, the Bible talks a lot about obeying God. And the truth is, we can't be saved without obeying God. Like We have to respond to His invitation. 
He says, come. We can't go, well, I want to be saved, but I'm not coming. You, you have to respond to the invitation. He doesn't force His blessings on anyone. He offers them. And in offering them, He's asking us to respond to Him. And that's really visible here in, a, in John chapter 15. Jesus is talking to His disciples, and He's talking to them about bearing fruit in their lives, producing things in their lives, and mostly He's focusing on relationships and even their relationships with each other. But look what He says in, in John 15 verse 14. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now, did Jesus ask us to obey Him? Absolutely. It's many times in the Scripture. He expects it. He says a little earlier, if you obey My commands, you will remain in My love. He expects us to obey. And that does put us in the position of servants, but actually, He wants us to be upgraded to friends. That's His desire. Now, if we want to be his friend, we we also have to serve. But the goal is friendship. And so, there's two possible motivations. There's a motivation of obligation. And then there's just the motivation of friendship and love. And see, the better way to look at your Christian life isn't simply, Okay, Lord, tell me my next six things I need to do. Thank you. One, two, three, checkbox, checkbox done. I've done it. The way to look at it is, God, you're my friend. I've never had a friend like you. Greater love is no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. That's the kind of friend we have. And yes, of course, God expects us to obey, but he, he doesn't want duty to be what drives us. He wants love to be what drives us. But the choice is ours. Because we can choose to be Martha... Or we can choose to be Mary. We can choose to see it as duty. And all these things that must be done. Or we can see it as a relationship. Where we simply enjoy being with Him. And the thing about Jesus is. If there's work to be done. He'd be right, right there helping you. Jesus didn't mind doing a little work. But what Jesus really came for. Wasn't to create an army of servants. It was to create a family of friends. And so, like Mary, I just want us to think about as we go out today, in my Christian life, it's great to have some advice from Solomon. You can think about how that may apply to various things in your life. But here's what Jesus said is better. Focusing on our relationship with Him. Realizing that it's that connection and friendship, that's His purpose. Not just just get us in line and get us in order and get everything all, you know, all the ducks in a row. He actually just wants us to be part of the family and to be his friend. Let's choose what's better. We'll pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father in God, we thank you that one wiser than Solomon has walked the earth. And we thank you that we have four Gospels giving us 
much of his teaching. And we thank you for that, Father, that we can know the attitude and the understanding of your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you that his plan for us wasn't just to be dutiful servants, but his plan was that we would be friends. And Father, he has made you known to us in many ways more than we've yet realized, Father. He makes you know, known to us each day as we walk with him. And I really pray that we see the difference between Martha and Mary. And we know that sometimes there are things that we need to do. But help us to treasure and long for the moments of simply sitting at the feet of your son. And listening to his voice and learning from him. Father, I pray that throughout this week there will be moments where we have, have a choice and we see it. And we have a choice of just being dutiful and doing something. Or we have a choice of being filled with love and friendship and doing that very same thing. And I pray, Father, that we will choose to focus in on you, your relationship with us, and then that through that relationship, we can have a similar relationship with others. Father, we thank you that that Jesus is the vine, and that by being connected to him, we can bear fruit, fruit of love and relationship that you intend. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that we will make the choice to do what is better this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Auntie.